Good afternoon. I'm Jerry DiPiano. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Fem Pharma Consumer Healthcare, and I am happy to welcome you to our webinar on the impact of chemotherapy on vulvar and vaginal health. Joining me today is Fem Pharma's Medical Director, Dr. Deborah Saltman. We also have an honor to have Tracy Owen from Cancer Treatment Centers of America who is uh, one of the counselors there and has great expertise in the area of sexual intimacy, spe specifically associated with cancer chemotherapy. And we are so fortunate to have R.B. Hamilton, Mrs. Arizona, who has also been a cancer survivor and thriver and uh, works with Cancer Treatment Centers of America. So she has no pun intended, some intimate knowledge of what it feels like to be in the shoes of a woman who has experienced intimacy issues and vulvar and vaginal issues associated with chemotherapy. Um, she's a mother, she was a student, and she is a survivor and thriver most importantly. So welcome everyone. Thank and you. with that, I'd like to turn this over to Dr. Deborah Saltman, who will be our moderator so we can get started. And thank you all once again. Thanks very much, Jerry, And thanks everyone for, for being on board. And this is, I think, our second or third webinar. And we hope to keep them coming just to, uh, to link out with people. I know webinars are a great source of information, but also what we wanna do is kind of have uh, an intimate chat because this is about intimacy today and we're gonna be talking about intimacy and, and it's good to have this, this chat. And I guess where we're gonna start is the concept of what happens after chemotherapy, which is really almost like an early menopause. And we want to have a talk about how you transition. And, and, you know, as little kids, we go through adolescence and we become reproductive adults, and then we go to our non-reproductive phase after that. So these are transitions. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how you transition into a sexual and non-reproductive concept after you've had some chemotherapy. And I have to say, I talk to a lot of my colleagues and... Um, Doctors aren't very, very good at this. In fact, they're pretty terrible. And unfortunately, we give a lot of mixed messages in this area. Because for example, I think one of the studies said that 47% um, of OBGYNs didn't think non-hormonal treatments actually worked for vulvovaginal dryness and atrophy. And they didn't even know the names of any over-the-counter products. And 27% agreed that they didn't know anything about them. So I don't think we're really very good as doctors understanding one, how to bring up the topic, two, how to talk about it and how to share information and tips and ways of helping people through this transitional time and onto the future. So I'm gonna get both Tracy and Arpi to help me out here and help you out talking about these issues. And I just wanna see, perhaps I'm gonna throw it over to you, Tracy. What do you think are the main dysfunctions that breast cancer survivors come and talk to you about in terms of sexual function? I think the primary the primary things have to do with uh, changes in desire. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in that woman's life um, that are taking up space in our biggest sex organ. Um, and, and those, you know, just helping women understand how all of these things play into the internet superhighway that is our brain. How do we quiet or maybe close some of those background windows that are playing all the time in our brain. Um, so I think desire would probably be a big one that women will come with. 
But then as I begin to talk with them and we talk about all the things that play into desire, I'm finding that they have vulvovaginal dryness, that they're itchy, they're dry, sex is painful for them. Um, and so as I always tell women, until we can get your body in a healthy state, your brain is not going to buy into sexuality because as long as it hurts, this beautiful brain that scans the world for trouble is going to put up a flag and say, this hurts. So we're not interested in that. And I keep a lava lamp, as you can see in the background in my office. And I say, my explanation to that is, if I asked you to reach over and grab hold of the lava lamp, your protective brain would immediately tell you no. And the same thing happens when women have sexual pain. So I think probably the primary thing that I start with with women is just either maintaining if they're still in that cusp of, of transition to menopause, uh, maintaining or improving vag vulvovaginal health. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. I mean, I suppose in the preamble, when we when we talk about it, and you know, we've all talked about it a lot amongst ourselves and tried to work a way forward, is I still keep on thinking about how come our parents didn't tell us when they told us about moisturising our body, to moisturise all of our body. I don't understand why someone didn't explain to me that I would need to moisturise below the hairline, not just to the hairline, yeah. and all of the hairlines. I mean, I put conditioner on my hair. I mean, what happens down in my vulvo-vaginal region? I don't moisturise. I put really awful toilet paper down there. It gets little balls in it, and I can't get rid of them sometimes. But actually telling people that moisturising in general is important, just as, as we can do as a, a kind of a general habit for everybody. So I tell people, just do the lot. But, you know, it's interesting. I don't talk a lot about desire, and you're absolutely right, Tracy. It's really nice of you bringing that up. I don't know where to bring that up in my consultations, and I'm sure lots of our, uh, our listeners and viewers are saying the same. Their docs don't talk to them about them. What about other things like pain and arousal, lubrication, satisfaction? Arpi, you, you, you're a survivor. Do you want to tell some of your stories about how you overcome some of the barriers there, how sure. you did? Sure. Um, you know, as um, a survivor, but also as a as a young survivor um, and somebody who is now postmenopausal, we we are ashamed of that. Uh, we don't know that other women are experiencing those issues, and we don't know how to bring it up. And even I think something as simple as there will be changes in your body um, on an intimate level. Just something as simple as that could help. Uh, for me, uh, losing that estrogen sort of, you know, the, the estrogen sort of feeds that a little bit, right? It feeds the arousal. So when that's not there, um, you kind of have to make that up on your own. But when you're living in a body that no, no longer looks like itself uh, and you no longer feel like yourself, that's really hard to do. Like Tracy said, you can't turn your brain off to it. And so it makes it difficult. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Tracy, tell us how you go about the consultations. Take us through like a couple that or a couple or a woman who first comes to you. How does the process evolve about you getting to talk about it and, and get to where RP's kind of got to? Well, the beautiful thing inside my facility is I'm I'm an RN, so I, I come in, I'm dressed as a nurse. I want people to see me as a nurse. Um, nurses are safe people in the world. You know? um, when, you, when you look at where do people feel comfortable, people are typically pretty comfortable with a nurse. And they'll tell a nurse, 
just amazing things, right? So I think coming in with a vision as a nurse and starting, I don't hop right into it. I kind of when I, I take a few minutes to just kind of hear what their thoughts are, where are they in their treatment journey? And I do some, some clinical medical review, right? So that's kind of helping us into that segue. So then I can be talking about urinary health, bowel health, vulvovaginal health. So I think because as a nurse, I can kind of <clears throat> move to a physical place of that that allows conversation that then lets us transition into the sexual brain. And, um, you know, of all the people in the last six years of this program, I've really only had one wow. gentleman who just couldn't participate in the conversation. Um, and I always try to level set that expectation. Listen, everyone's a little anxious when they go to meet with the intimacy and sexuality nurse. Everyone's a little anxious the first time. And I always acknowledge that right up front, that this can feel weird because this isn't a safe conversation in our world. And I'm always surprised at how many times those few women are brave enough to bring something up to their physician. And because most of my women are gonna have some hormonal impact where we're not gonna wanna replace hormone in their body. The docs will say, well, you can't use estrogen, so just use a lot of lubricant. Well, they never talk to them about the other products that we can utilize other than estrogen. And, and as I talk to them, they don't really know, just like you said, Deb, they don't know there's other things out there to help women. But I think the transition comes easily just because I start from that health and body care and then can transition over to the rest you know, it's really interesting. You know, I, I, when I go to a doctor, I think my IQ drops down to about 70 because I want to be taken care of. And I think, I think everybody's the same. You just, you, you, they say to me, they try to treat me, as a, treat me as a doctor. I say, no, don't do this. Treat me as just a patient, please. And I think uh -huh. it's the same with this kind of sexual intimacy. When I even hear you talking about it, I go back to high school and think about what we were talking in the locker rooms about uh -huh. and don't think at all about you know, a mature sexual intimacy, how, that, how it developed I don't think, and, and when I'm thinking about it, I have to be very conscious. And when I'm talking about moisturizing, I have to say, do you know, like, do you know where your labia are? Do you know what your vagina looks like? Do you know where your clitoris is? You know, all these questions and also to your partner. And, 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 and quite often couples don't talk about this. I mean, that's a kind of intimacy. I, I don't know, maybe, um, be, what five, you know, on your transition with your husband, what kind of five, effective habits would you share over the period of, you know, transitioning to where you are now, Mrs. Arizona, and, and can tell things to us as Mrs. Yes. Arizona? Yeah, I mean, it's been a journey for sure. Um, my husband and I were not intimate for, for two whole years, and trying to get that back has been um, fun, although challenging. And really, um, for me, number one, I would say, recognizing that it was there. Um, we didn't want to avoid it. Physical intimacy was tough. Um, so we recognize it. Yes, there's an issue. Now, how, now what? Um, we spend a lot of time talking about it. We are open and honest, at least with each other. If we can't be open and honest with someone else or with our provider, at least we can talk about it with each other. What works, what doesn't. Um, also, I think it's really, really important uh, 
for me, especially coming out of something traumatic as cancer treatment and now onto survivorship, it was important to spend some time um, physically working out what was different about my body, um, what felt different, what didn't feel good, you know, um, what was a safe, you know, spot for me, what wasn't, and then trying to reintroduce uh, my husband to that because things are different now. I had a unilateral mastectomy. Um, there is some, you know, residual pain, things like that. So teaching him this new me basically was, was big. Also, I think um, another big one for women, especially for our bodies, number one, as we age, um, postmenopausal, it exercises huge in um, keeping the body healthy. And for me, when I exercise, I feel good about myself, right? I feel um, strong, I feel in shape, I feel healthy. And that in turn plays into my desires to want to have a healthy sex life. Um, and then also lubrication is key. And you know, like you said, Dr. Saltman, we were not taught to moisturize uh, our vaginas the way that we were the rest of our bodies. And you know, it's a, it's a taboo subject. Why? I don't know. We all have one, right? All of us women uh, have vaginas, uh, couples. Um, we all have intimate areas. And so learning to take care of them is key. Um, and I think once you start to find what works for you, which lubricant is best, whether it be a moisturizer or a lubricant, um, then I think that that will add to the enjoyment of it. Thanks, Afi. Um Back to you, Tracy. Can you give us some, um, tell us how with some of your patients, I guess you help them prepare their vulvo-vaginal region to kind of sexually date again. I mean, how do you get to sexual dating from after having chemotherapy and the shock of breast cancer or any kind of ovarian, any cancer that's, that, that strikes at our hormonal basis as women, you know, takes our estrogen and says, you, that's bad for you now. I mean, it's almost a huge shock. So how do we start sexual dating with our vulvo-vaginal region again? Typically when I meet with women, and of course I start from a body care place first before we start to move to sexuality, um, which I think kind of helps give them permission to slowly get into the conversation. Um, but just helping people understand how it all works. We've never really been, that the information of how sexuality starting with our brain works in our body. How do those hormones impact our body? What mean, What does it mean when they're gone? What about body image? You know, a, a woman, if she's feeling, lost all of her hair, literally head, <clears throat> excuse me, eyebrows, pubic hair, you know, all the hair goes. Women never complain about their armpits or their legs, but all the rest of the hair they're not happy about. Um, but what does that feel like? What does that look like? And how do we recover that? So a lot of times when couples are ready to start moving back into that phase of their life, that woman's body has changed. So it's a little unfamiliar to her. It's changed and it's unfamiliar to him. So I um, like to have couples do a process. It's usually about a three to five session Um experience where they're working on sensate focus. And this would be something that anyone can do some reading about. 
But what it's doing is helping us to reorient ourselves to our body, what we feel like in our body, what feels good in our body, what doesn't. I always want breast cancer women to have conversation with their partner about are the breasts even a fly zone or a no-fly zone? And that can change, that changes over time. But the woman has to be given permission to set that time and not feel pressured to it. So I want to have that very open conversation with a couple. Is it okay or does it shut your brain down? Because now these breasts have been an area of trauma, right? We've been through, we've been through surgeries and biopsies and mammograms and we've had strangers touching our breasts that we didn't really plan on have having touch us and women with gyn cancer you know those are pretty special places that we save for a select few in our life and suddenly they're on display for the world to look at and touch and so those women really begin to disassociate in their brain from their body like What's happening in here is not feeling good, so I'm gonna take this on vacation and go somewhere else for a while. So Sensate Focus helps the woman by helping her dial back into her body. It helps the man as he's relearning her body. Um, and so of course with that, it starts with just head to toe massage different levels of touch, what feels good, yes. So it's a very, it requires that communication back and forth. This is good, this isn't good. Don't go there, nope, that hurts. So just, and it's not a negative, it's a very soft way of just re-establishing connection together and re-familiarizing with that body. Um, and I think that's important for all of our women to experience and to be given permission to do, because most people don't think about the fact that these women have completely stepped out of their bodies to survive. So, so, Poppy, just coming back to you about, about your negotiations with your husband about your sexual intimacy, you know, what, how do you start the conversation? How did you start the conversation with him? When you had blockages, how did you overcome them? I mean, lots of our viewers are thinking, I, I don't even know where to start with this conversation. And if I start, what if he goes quiet? Or what if she goes quiet? What if they go quiet on me? What do I do then? Yeah, it, um, you know, like Tracy said too, there's, you know, you're trying to turn your brain off from that. There's um, shame at least for me, there was, there's a little shame in um, gynecologic cancers, right? My breasts failed me um, and that's an intimate thing. And so to just kind of disassociate yourself from that. Um, for my husband and I, um, you know, like she said, it's a no-fly zone, it's, it's this and that. So there is a lot of communication between my husband and I. Um, you know, like I said, for two years, there was no intimacy and we didn't, we didn't even, it was not an option. It wasn't discussed. My husband went into this um, caregiver mode and kind of turned that portion of his brain off as well, because now he's faced with, this is the woman that I love and I may lose her. And so even for him now, and I don't know um, if there's others that suffer from this, I imagine so, but for him trying to gain back the um, intimacy. It's not that he wasn't aroused by me, but he's afraid he's going to hurt me now. He doesn't want to touch me here. Um, 
So the communication was key because I had to let him know, yes, that does hurt. And I'm not sure I'm comfortable yet. And this is what you can do to make me comfortable. But also I had work to do because I needed him to be comfortable. If he's not comfortable, then he's not aroused by me, which then opens up a whole bigger can of worms. So it has been a process. Um, but what I want women to know is they're not alone. And, uh, you know, I rely so heavily on support groups and social groups on um, social media. And I can hear women saying the same thing. We're all saying the same thing. We just need to know where to be directed. I mean, that's what we're seeing and having this, this community. Right. Um, one of the things I wanted to have a quick chat with you about, Tracy, is I, I just mentioned about coming back to your own, getting to know your own vulva and vagina and forming some sexual intimacy with yourself. What about new partners? Because, you know, there is a higher level of divorce and separation after cancer and some couples can't be as lucky as RP or yourself and, and make it make their way through this to find a, a happy place again together. The, the stress of the whole process is just destroys couples but you know most women are young and healthy and able to have a sex life and and what do you do I mean on, on your first date I mean you say oh look I've had half a tit off and I don't <laughs> what what do you say what do you sorry apologies from Australia you know my my single ladies bring this up and, and usually they're the time they bring that up is somewhere around uh six months or so after they've finished treatment which tells me, okay, now my brain's starting to look at, okay, how am I gonna redefine life on this side of cancer? Um, and I will usually tell people, we don't go give every one of our trade secrets out on our first date. So I don't want them to feel pressured to bring that up in the first date because then the conversation goes from me trying to figure out if there's any kind of connection between us to tell me about your cancer journey and now we're reliving that again. And so I will almost always tell women, give it a couple of dates just to see if this person's even worthy of knowing these inner secrets of you. Um, you know, we have to establish some safety before we are gonna be able to be authentically vulnerable and so I, I usually try to encourage women not to feel like that needs to come out right away, but certainly before they start getting into um, a more physically intimate connection with each other so that there's not a surprise along the way and to always do that outside the bedroom, like don't bring that up, you know, when things have gotten hot and heavy in the bedroom. So it's really about timing and that's going to look different for every woman, for every situation. Um, and, and I also tell them to make sure before, as they're getting ready to start thinking about getting back into the dating world, let's make sure that your health in your body is good so that if that opportunity arises, that's a pleasant experience for you, not an, a painful or anxiety ridden experience for you. That's very, very good advice. Um, any advice for, for couples who, um, you know, we always assume sex is done one particular way and lots of, it's so many varieties of sex and so many varieties of couples and ways of being intimate. And, you know, when you're trying to talk about intimacy, it's pretty hard if 
you think that your therapist only understands a very conventional what we see in the movies, nothing more than kissing, then all of a sudden they have an orgasm kind of happening. I mean, how do you bring it up and talk with people who may not have talked about interesting other ways that they commune or they get together um, than, than what we might see in the movies? Well, hopefully by the time we're getting to that conversation, I've had some time with that couple to establish relationship um, so that we have some trust behind us because that does require some trust to be able to have those conversations. But I talk to people about their menu, their sexual menu. And I tell them, listen, I love chicken fried steak, but if all I was ever gonna have was chicken fried steak, chicken fried steak would pretty soon lose its pizzazz for me. Or maybe we get ready to make chicken fried steak and we're out of oil, so we can't make the steak and we have to go for something different. So I'll talk to them about a menu. Um, what's been on their menu? Um, are they willing to um, expand their menu? And, you know, I mean, I, I think I was called to this position because I don't, I'm not hung up about what other people enjoy in their sexuality. That's, that's between them. As long as there's two consenting adults, as, long, as far as I'm concerned, two consenting adults can do whatever they want to do to enjoy their pleasure together. So I, I quickly make that known that what's right for you is the only thing that matters here. But maybe we could expand the menu a little bit. And I also talk about um, good enough sex. Like sometimes we're not, every time we're sexual, we're not gonna have these, you know, big ta-da kind of sex. Sometimes it's just connecting sex, right? And that needs to be good enough. We, we sometimes set what we feel like we should be doing based on what we've seen in TV or a porn or something like that. And that's not really unique to who we are. That's not authentic to who we are showing up in the bedroom. So um, I work on menu, I work on permission giving to explore new things um, because that's a big thing. We've never been really, especially women. I mean, I think men get it, but women never get permission to pleasure. And so when I ask women, when they say their partner isn't a good bedmate, I'm like, well, what turns you on? Well, if I don't know what turns my body on, how is somebody else going to know that? So again, that goes back to getting to know yourself a little bit better and getting permission to do that. And then sometimes having a, a, some extra help to try some new things, some encouragement. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I always say it's interesting the permission the other way. I had a, a patient, he was 86, and he wanted permission to stop having sex every day. He said, could I stop now? And so there's permission at the other end. I mean, yes. I have this kind of feeling like sex has to happen all the time. And, and he was honestly sincere that he believed that that was his role as a husband to have mm -hmm. a day with his wife. And so I think there's a, a, it's not just for, for us as women. But I think our partners have this belief that that's the, mm -hmm. the intimacy stuff. And, I, and I, I know you touched on that a bit more about your husband, Arpi, and him not sure what he could touch and what he could do. I mean, did he feel that way that he had to ha have an increased uh, activity to pleasure you or to make sure it was going to work right? I think so. I, I don't know if it was, you know, 
for him, I think, because he knew that, you know, I'm, I'm 42. Right. And so as a female, I'm in my prime now and he's 45. And so um, I think there's still pressure, (laughs) you know? And so I, I think for him, it's just, he wants to make sure that I'm where I need to be mentally because when I'm healthy mentally, everything else just kind of falls into place. I mean, he knows that we've been together for 27 years, so he can read me like, you know, like it's nobody's business, but um, you know, yeah. And I, I think he still experiences that to this day and, and vice versa. I mean, I feel it too in different ways. Can I, can I jump in just real quick, Deb, to that? I think giving one of the things that I love couples to do is to work on this exploration together, right? I mean, I like people to kind of in their own space, do some exploration, but then I like the couple just to say, Hey, we're not going to set any goals other than just exploration today. And when I, when women, women tend to be real withheld, like you're that they're the only woman that has this problem. I'm the only woman who has a dry vagina and that sex hurts. And when number one, normalizing that, but then I really love to bring the partner in as part of the reparations, right? So be part of helping her remember to use her vaginal hydration three times a week, you know, be part of. Um, once she gains some comfort in maybe some vaginal dilation, be part of that with her. Work that into part of your foreplay as preparing her body for this time together. And if he gets to be part of that, then he knows exactly where she's at in it. Like if he's helping her with dilation, uh, pre, you know, pre-intimacy dilation, then he gets to know I've made sure that through our time, through this pre-time, this foreplay time, I've made sure that this area is lubricated. I've made sure that she's had time for the body to respond and prepare that pelvis for sexuality. Um, We've done some pre-dilation and she was able to accommodate that without any pain. So that lets him know in his brain that as he proceeds forward, he's not going to be hurting her because he's been part of the solution. And, and, and of course, one of the things that's really important for me is quite often as a clinician, people come to us very late and they expect a whole lot of miracles, like, you know, fix this up quickly. But what I try to, I mean, one of the things you said, which is three times a week, I mean, I like to, I like, I like to tell people to moisturize every day because I know they won't. But if, they yes. watch, if I tell them to do it every day, I'm I tell them every day, but they hit about three times a week exactly. <laughs> if I'm lucky, <laughs> but I, I have two magic wands and I tell people this issue has been going on for how long. So we're not going to correct it today, but we're going to get started toward correcting it today. Exactly. And, and but exactly. there's no magic wand. This is the flower for the woman. This is the magic wand for the man. I tell you what, I keep it right on my counter. I have my regimen. I have my, I brush my teeth. I have my lotion and I have my vaginal moisturizer. And if you keep it where you can see it, yes, it is fresh in your mind. And really it only takes about two weeks to form a really good habit. Yes. Exactly, Alfie. And the other thing is, I don't think women remember that, you know, our bodies are different. 
when we go and have a pee, we have to wipe. And every right. time we wipe, we wipe any moisture we've got away. Uh-huh. It's just like when you wash your hands, you know, they're dry after it, like uh-huh. in these times of COVID, they're dry. And so yeah. we wipe all the moisture away. And I, 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 I just keep the buds, our little buds that we've got. and, and Yes, the yeah. little wipe, wipe alongs. And the little buds are perfect. You just snap off the end. It's it's perfect. It's good. Just remember to keep on using them. But that's what comes kind of every day for me it's a bit like brushing teeth like you said um, mm-hmm. um i want to leave some time so if there are any questions coming from our audience but before we kind of let that time happen perhaps you can just kind of summarize you know what three happy messages i mean because we, we, we're women of hope here we're all survivors in a way and we want to pass this sort of hope on uh in these in these difficult times that we're living in at the moment where people you know, can, uh, are told messages that aren't always positive or hopeful and, and we're all, we are survivors. And so passing some of the survival messages on to people would be, I think, really helpful. So I'm going to put you on the spot and have a think about two or three messages of hope and happiness and survival that we can pass on to our audience. And that doesn't mean that the audience can't share their, their hopeful or questions with us, but we can pass on three messages. Um, yeah. Whoever wants to go first. Arpi, you're looking like you're ready. Yeah. Arpi's ready. I'm ready. Um, You know, for me, I just want women to know that there is help out there. Um, You don't have to suffer alone there. Chances are we're all in the same boat, uh, post-menopausal and post-treatment women. And my hope is that for all of the women who are in their, you know, 20s and 30s that have now been forced into early menopause chemically, um, just talk about it, reach out. If we all can learn how to talk about it, it won't be so taboo. And then we'll start to see a shift in women's health. Yeah, and um, communicate, be honest with yourself, recognize it and communicate with your partner and um, take care of your vagina, ladies. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I would say my first thing is where, we're all women. We all have the same basic part. So the odds are high that not any one woman is going to be the only one to experience an issue. So I want to give people permission. This is the first thing I always want to do, permission to invest in yourself and to invest in your relationship. I want to give people permission to seek help for that if they can't find the answers on their own. And sometimes it's hard to know who I can go talk to about that. If you're in the oncology world, I would say tap into your survivorship provider first. Um, they, survivorship uh, providers, sexuality is part of what they do. And hopefully they know somewhere to refer. Um, I know at Cancer Treatment Center, I see our patients, but I also see people from from our community. So I'm, you know, I I just am telling people, reach out for help. There is someone who can help you and, um, you know, hydrate your vagina, take care of your parts, keep them healthy. I guess my message is also, it's a good news story of survivorship and people are living and managing to, managing to, get intimate again, control their dryness, be part of the community. And that's the beautiful message. And I wanna thank you both for sharing those, those beautiful messages uh, and hopefully uh, open it up if there are any questions from the audience. Um, I'm, usually there's lots of questions, but they come up later and I might farm them <laughs> come to me later, like Dr. Saltman, this is what I wanted to ask on the webinar. But if there are any questions, uh, perhaps you can pop them in the chat. 
um, from people from the audience and, uh, and our moderator might tell us about them. Um, maybe as a, as a closure, a uh, couple of good books to read or a nice movie to see, just to, someone can watch that later on today. Any ideas about your favourite movie? Uh, my favorite movie is probably Bridges of Madison County. I don't, that's kind of an old one, I know. Um, um, Dr. Salzman, there is a question from an anonymous attendee. Is vulva itching normal? If so, how do you combat this? Um, I'm, I'm happy to start, but I'm going to hand it over as well. Um, itching is a fabulous thing. People don't understand about itch. Itch is the first, first warning sign that something's going wrong. And it's the nerves first up saying, oh, something's happening there. So I'm irritated. Exactly. It's the early <laughs> warning system. So itching is very good, but scratching is very bad. So this is how I tell people, to itch is good, to scratch is not good. So an itch is an early warning system. And if you are itchy, it's time to do something. And before it gets to be sore. Um, mm. I use the example, because I get them a lot, of a mosquito bite. When, it, when a mosquito bites me, I'm so itchy, I don't want to scratch it. And every time I scratch it, it turns into this huge, big welt that takes days to get better. But if I left it alone and treated it with something that would settle down the itch, it would be better. So yes, itching is normal. Continuous itching means you're not looking after yourself. I mean, I suppose, Tracy, Arpi, you want to add anything there? I usually will talk to women about just vulvovaginal health, like their bathing products, the heat that they're using when they bathe, um, what kind of soap are they using, um, because we need to switch to a, a something that's designed for the female genitalia. Um, we'll talk about clothing. A lot of women are now wearing the uh, Lycra uh, yoga pants everywhere they go, but those just hold in heat and moisture. So I'm going to talk to him about a little bit of commando, you know, take all of that off, let the air, let the skin breathe, watch the products you're putting on it. And then of course, add in a moisturizer and that, um, you know, I like products with hyaluronic acid in them. Hyaluronic acid helps the cells hold more moisture. So they're plumper. It also helps to stimulate the growth of new healthy cells. And then it's going to add, you know, the skin's just going to feel better, which is going to probably take away that itching for her. But vulvovaginal health, uh, you can actually go online and read about uh, what's, what are some good things to improve vulvovaginal health. Um, and I'll usually tell women if they're really irritated not to use toilet paper. I'll say get a, a good old Perry bottle and just rinse it off and pat dry instead of trying to put product on there or shearing force of paper. Might be a personal thing. I don't know what you two think about G-strings. I don't think they were uh, really made for women on any level. <laughs> They're made for men. <laughs> well, they don't cover anything. <laughs> and they irritate. All those strings and seams irritate in all the wrong places. So, you know, I do talk about underwear. We talk about underwear, clothing, all of those things impact our health. Um, well, and when, when do we get to be, we don't let it breathe, right? women typically we're only in the nude when we're showering. And so I try to make it a habit of getting myself ready in the nude. I'll do my makeup and my hair before I get dressed just to give it, you know, 30, 45 minutes to just breathe, you know, let my body breathe. Um, and also soap can really soap in the intimate areas. Uh -huh. I think we as women don't know that we probably should not be using soap down there and that can contribute to the dryness and to the itching. So 
this um, legs. I've got a bad back and one shouldn't cross his legs. I know I was told to do that as a young girl, but I've worked myself out of it and keeping your legs mm -hmm. together just irritates things as well. Mm -hmm. The second question is, what do you suggest for a woman to increase or have desire? I wish there was a very quick answer to that, but there is just not a quick answer. It takes some intentional work. And I think um, we don't, we just expect it to be a, a magic bean, right? That it just, because it did in our youth, it was, it showed up so much more readily in our youth and it doesn't show up so readily. So that's an intentional effort. Um, and that's a great thing to work with someone to help you address that um, because it comes in so many layers um, inside that female brain. Well, and I, I think too, um, like I touched on, it's really important to know your own body and to spend some time with yourself. Um, Dr. Saltman, you mentioned vibrators and toys, and I think that's a taboo subject too, right? Nobody wants to admit to that, but it's a tool to help you along the way. And um, I think it's really important. We as women are not taught um, how to orgasm, you know, as children, we're not taught how to arouse ourselves. And so um, I think it's important now into adulthood to learn your body. And if you are post-treatment, it's really important to relearn your body because it's now different. It's not the same anymore. If a woman is not having satisfying sex, right? Like if, if she's just showing up to a surrender for her partner, but she's not actually engaging in it, then that's gonna be a really difficult way to stimulate desire. So sometimes it's that our men don't know our anatomy. We don't know our anatomy. We don't know that the clitoris is the bang for the buck right? So this is the clitoris and an actual kind of real size of it. But of course, we only see the external part, which is this tip. But the actual clitoris is an actual whole body. And so if you're looking, the, the hole where we urinate from sits about right here. And then our vagina sits down in this lower portion of these nice bodies that get engorged with blood, but there's 8,000 nerve endings that end in this clitoris. And this is where most women, 80 plus percent of women, will only find orgasm through clitoral stimulation. The vagina itself doesn't have tremendous nerve endings because we have to birth babies out of there. Um, and so, but if you look at magazines or pornography or things like, or Hollywood movies, it's intercourse where they always show women having big orgasm of sex, but really that's just not how the female body typically responds. Now, I will say that very few people understand that. So just helping them understand how to access pleasure for that woman is important. So, so the other thing about desire is, is also about other senses like smell. Like we know when we're hungry, we go past a particular shop, the smell that comes out of there uh, just turns us on and we want to have that food, you know, we salivate. And the same sort of thing with desire. I had a wonderful patient who told me um, an interesting story. She had sequential partners and she said the first thing she did when she thought she was going to go to bed with this guy was she bought him aftershave because there was one particular aftershave that turned her on. 
So all her guys had the same aftershave. So if you're thinking about this, think about something that, that you link with desire, something that mm -hmm. makes you link with desire and introduce that into the environment. And it may be a smell, it may be a sheet, it may be something else, maybe the temperature of the room. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that can link in with all our senses, maybe music. So there's, but you have to be open to kind of trying to find them if you're trying to switch that desire on. Um, the third question is for Tracy. Tracy, with CDCA you are at, uh, the patient, this particular patient is at the Atlanta location. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if she would like to connect, she can reach out to her cancer treatment uh, team, her cancer fighters team in Atlanta, and they can help connect her to me. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Um, I want to show one quick pic. Oh, sorry. I want to show one quick picture about... I'm, I'm hoping you can see it. I show this picture. Uh, Tracy, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. <laughs> so in this picture, I will show this and we'll, we'll talk about all the places that desire can be created within the brain. If we're just going from one avenue, then we it's probably not going to fire up that whole brain, but really intimacy and sexuality fires up the whole brain. And so there are multiple ways we can tap in to desire opportunities. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, one last question, if there is one, Rashmi. Otherwise, we'll hand it over to Jerry to uh, to close out the hour. Um, there are no more questions. Thank you. All right. Thank you to our audience and our participants. They were they were really interesting questions, and we hope we answered them. Um, Thanks to my great panel team, Arpi, Tracy, and Jerry. We've, we've come a long way together. We've, Thank you. Uh, and we're from all over the country and from other countries. And I'd like to just hand it back to, uh, to Jerry to kind of close this over because I think Jerry's the link that's brought us together and, and has, has got us warmed up about a lot of things that are important, <laughs> desirous of better women's health. Thanks, Deb. Uh, first of all, I want to thank all of the participants for taking the time to join us this afternoon. And I especially want to thank our panelists, Tracy Owen and R.P. Hamilton. Uh, you can feel the authenticity um, in their voices. It is palpable. Dr. Deborah Saltman, our medical director, who um, is is sort of a partner in crime here at Fem Pharma um, in the sense that we continue to look for ways to find solutions to help women. We've been doing this for two decades. So Fem Pharma is a company that started as a research and development organization developing pr prescription products that address conditions that disproportionately affect women. So we've spent the last two decades listening to women and responding to their needs. Our consumer health company focuses specifically on ways in which to provide access with non-prescription solutions. In this case, and the subject of today's discussion is really on vulvovaginal health and ways in which our products, our Satisfet vaginal moisturizer and personal lubricant and our Satis Femme product line can help you in a way in which it does not compromise your safety. So these are made without hormones. They may be used every single day for moisturization. It is important to think about intimacy, and that's why the Satis Fet product may be used as both a personal lubricant and moisturizer but it really is about taking care of yourself so that when the moment presents itself, you feel healthy and confident 
in your sexuality, but really that you feel that your pelvic and reproductive organs are being treated properly. We moisturize our faces our, and our limbs, but we need to take care of our vaginal health. And so we hope that Fem Pharma will continue to provide you with solutions as a company who's made its mission to support women, not just two years ago, but for two decades. I wanna thank you once again. I wish you well, I wish you good health and thank you once again to our panelists. Be well and take care. Thank you.